the book of Titus chapter 1 this morning. We're going to, uh, as we continue our travels through Titus, we will pick up where we left off last week. And of course, we know that Paul is giving direction to Titus here to set things in order in Crete. And his first order of, of business that he addresses is leadership. That is to ordain elders, to establish uh, them in every city. And so we began to look at uh, some of the requirements of an elder, uh, of a bishop, uh, of a pastor. And we kind of talked about those three different terms. And so uh, I will use them interchangeably uh, uh, today, potentially. But just um, understand that uh, I believe it's the same office and it's three different uh, <clears throat> ways in those, and how those men minister as overseers and shepherds and, and not being the novice as an elder. Uh, but let's begin reading by verses 5, or excuse me, 4 down through uh, verse 9. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I appointed thee. If any man be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless. As the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So as we go through these qualifications, uh, if you will, if you, if you want to call them that, and, and certainly I don't think that's inappropriate to call them that, there is nothing here that is not expected of all of God's children. I just want to remind you of that. And so these are a set of, of things in a description of how an elder should look Right, So as Paul is sending Titus to Crete, or as he left him there, I guess we would say, he said, these are the markers of somebody to consider for the office of bishop. Uh, so that would indicate to me that these men were doing these things prior to being a bishop. And as I thought about this, I never sat down and said, well, God's worked on my heart to be a bishop. I better look at these qualifications and make sure I line up. I never did that. I believe God calls those that are living a life that's honoring to Him. And so what I don't want us to do, because I think sometimes this happens, is we get this idea that we see a man in the pulpit, we see a preacher, a pastor, uh, and, and we, we pull out our Bibles and go, okay, here's the list of things that I'm going to examine in this individual's life. And we become very critical about how they're living their Christian life. Now, and that's not to say, God has given an outline here. And these things do need to be present, but we need to be very careful that we're not overcritical in the matter. And so I just want you to remember that as we go through this. Everything here, it's, so when it says not given to filthy lucre, that doesn't mean the rest of the church can be given to that. Are you picking up what I'm putting down this morning? There is nothing here that is not expected of you just the same as it is the preacher. It's just, hey, these things need to be evidence. And they're an elder. There's a period of time where they're examined and their pattern of life. You can see these character traits as they live for God, like everyone ought to. 
I hope you understand the spirit of that. Because I've seen it different. <laughs> so anyway, maybe, it's just, maybe that was just for me. But I, I do, it makes perfect sense to prove those that will be appointed. Right? As a pastor, as a bishop or an overseer. And I think that's why we get the term elder. And we're looking at the qualifications here in Titus. But I will mention this in 1 Timothy 3.6. It says, uh, not a novice. And we, don't, we don't see that in our text here. And it says, not a novice, lest being lifted up uh, with pride, he fall into the condemnation of an elder. And so, uh, or condemnation of the devil, not the elder, um, excuse me. But an elder is not a youngster. Um, and there's an argument there for age, I believe, uh, to some extent. But I, I think a lot of it has to do with, when you look at that word novice, it's newly planted or a young convert. So these aren't fresh Christians that just got saved last week or even last month or maybe even a year. And I would make even this argument, and, I, and I'm not saying this is wrong, uh, but I do, now that I've got a couple years behind me, and I've been around friends of mine that have graduated seminary or Bible college, and then they go off and they, uh, they become a pastor somewhere, uh, they have a lot to learn. And so I, I, it's not a very light thing to put somebody in the position as a bishop or a pastor. Uh, and I'm not saying somebody's fresh out of Bible college, they go plant a church and, and they begin pastor. I'm not saying that's wrong. Uh, but that person has not got a lot of experience as a 22, 3, maybe 4-year-old person. I, wouldn't, I don't think I would have said that when I was 25 because I had life figured out. But now that I'm up in years, maybe not as some others that are in here today, but I understand there's a lot to learn in life that you don't learn in those first 20 years. Uh, I look at my son Caleb, 20 years old. He's an idiot. Um, <clears throat> And so these are men that had a time of proving. Now, I'm not suggesting that young men can't minister in this way either uh, because a lot of it does have to do with the maturity level and, and how they've submitted to the will of God in their life. And, and, if I'm, and I'm not to doubt God's call on somebody either. If God calls them, uh, I'm not to doubt that. But these are things that we do need to consider. But the idea is someone who has experience and someone who has been observed to see that these qualifications or these character traits are evident in their life, uh, if that makes sense. So let us continue our look. And, and last week, we talked a little bit about the, the family requirements, right? We talked about, uh, well, first, that a bishop must be the husband of one wife. These are men. And these aren't ladies. And I, and I think the Bible is very explicit in that. Anybody that says otherwise, they're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading. Um, I, don't, I don't know where they're, where they're getting that. And so... Um, and they're the husband of one wife and, and their children. Uh, they rule their homes well. Uh, and, and again, I, I mentioned they're not perfect. And don't ever forget, you're not either. Um, and so these men do not have to be perfect. And we'll close out with some thoughts on that. Uh, but as we continue here, it says in verse 7, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. And so we looked at the idea of blameless a little bit last week, but I'll remind you, one against whom no evil charge can be sustained. There might be accusations against the man of God, uh, against the pastor, but can they be uh, sustained? So without fault, innocent, guiltless, not meriting censure. 
Uh, and I like this, free from accusations that can be rightly proven. Somebody that's blameless. Uh, listen, you don't have to be perfect to be blameless. Sometimes I make mistakes. If I'm willing to own those mistakes and make those things right, uh, I think that's the idea there. We're not to be perfect. A steward, and, and we talked about this, it says as the steward of God. Uh, and so what is a steward? Somebody that's entrusted with that which belongs to another. And I would say what a grave responsibility a pastor has in shepherding God's flock. And so this person must be faithful. Uh, he must understand this. And, and, and I don't think anybody that is serious about this doesn't take it seriously, that this is the people of God. And we, we know this verse in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so these men certainly must be faithful and trustworthy and and there to execute the office as God intended. Because it's not their flock. This is God's. They're the steward. God has put them and appointed them into a position. And listen, by, by the grace of God, he, people submit themselves to the authority of their pastor. And so this person must take it very important or of a matter of significant grave importance that they would understand that it is God that ultimately... It's God's people, not theirs. And we know that they ought not lord over God's heritage. But So those are a couple things that we kind of mentioned last week. So let's look at some specific negative qualifications. And by negative, I mean these are things that ought not be present in, in the life of, of these that are called. And so it says here, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. So not self-willed, and, and the idea there is not self-pleasing, or even arrogant. And I would say it this way, I want it my way. The pastor needs to understand that it's not about him and what he wants. And I'll tell you what, the, the, the more time I exercise this, this ministry here, the more I learn, you don't want it my way. Because <laughs> my way is not always God's way. And so this person does not need to want their desire and, and their way of doing everything to happen. It, it, again, it's God's flock. It's not about going about it the way that the preacher wants. And listen, I've been in places where that is the case, where there's a very dominant person that dictates specific acts, aspects of the flock's lives. And I believe that's contrary to the Word of God. It's not about what he wants. Listen, people don't effectively grow until God brings them along. We can get people to conform to a set of the standards that I want and how I think it ought to be, but it will never be real with them in their relationship with God. What a failure as a leader. What a failure as a pastor to dictate certain aspects of somebody's life because it's not going to take hold and be real for them. They're just conforming because they might be criticized. We need to be careful there. And so I believe a pastor should not be self-willed. And I believe that because the Bible says it as well. Not soon angry. Uh, susceptible of anger. Easily provoked or inflamed with resentment or irritable. Certainly we don't want somebody that flies off the handle at the drop of a hat. Somebody that can't control their emotions and, and gets just angry uh, over things. And, 
And listen, man, if you're in your home and that's how you respond, woe unto you. Nobody wants to live in a home where it's just always anger. Listen, nobody wants to come to a church where it's just anger from the pulpit all the time. Now, there's a time to deal with things. And there's a time to preach with conviction. Uh, But again, it's not about what I want. It's not a self-willed, I'm angry because things aren't going my way. We need to be careful about that. And so certainly as you, and nobody should be looking for a new pastor, by the way. I'm not giving you a list of things so you can go find the next guy. We got a good one here, all right? So uh, it says not given to wine. The idea there is staying near wine or places that serve it. Um, And the expression not given to wine means the subject being discussed is inconsistent with the calling and must be avoided. Uh, obviously, a preacher, a bishop cannot be a drunkard lest they pervert the law, lest they pervert the Word of God. And, and so certainly, uh, your preacher ought not be somebody that tarries at the wine and is, is a drunkard and that drinks. And so, and what, remember what I said earlier? All these qualifications are good for the people of God as a whole. So the congregation shouldn't be given to wine either. And later on, we get in here, it specifically talks about others that aren't bishops that are not given to wine in, in our passage, in, our, in, our, in the book of Titus. But uh, I don't want to labor here because I, I don't think anybody's really going to question this. Um, certainly, uh, we ought to abstain from, from the consumption of alcohol. I believe that. And other illicit drugs, or even if they're not illicit in today's society, uh, if they begin to control you and the Holy Spirit no longer is able to control you, there's a problem. And so just because society says it's legal doesn't mean that it's right before God and doesn't mean that it's acceptable for the people of God to exercise. No striker. And I like the definition of this. It didn't help me a lot because I had to look up the definition of that word, but it says not pugnacious. And I'll tell you what, in in my limited vocabulary, uh, pugnacious wasn't there. So uh, when, you, when you look up no striker and then they define it with pugnacious, it wasn't helpful for me. Maybe you guys are better educated than me. Uh, but listen, the idea is they're not disposed to fight. They're not quarrelsome. Uh, right? They're not just picking a fight for picking a fight's sake. And, and that really, that goes on with the whole alcohol thing and riotous living and that kind of those carousers and, and just that lifestyle. So these are things that... That ought not be the case, but I'm afraid some people, even though they might not go to blows, some preachers oftentimes are just looking to quarrel. I'm like, get over yourself, man. Let's preach the word of God. Let's share the gospel with people. But they just want to argue about the finer points of the doctrines of the word. I'm like, we don't find that. That's not, that's not a qualification that you have to do. It's actually, you should not be choosing to do that. And then it says, not given to filthy lucre. Not greedy for sordid gain. And certainly there are those that use the ministry for their benefit financially. And what a shame that is. Uh, That ought not be the case for the man of God. And so, but then there's some specific positive qualifications. And uh, from our text, we see in verse 7, or excuse me, verse 8, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, lover of hospitality. Um, This is a tough one. I love hospitality, but I have a hard time demonstrating it a lot. 
and Cindy and I were going to invite some folks to our house this next week. I, I said, hey, I was looking at the calendar. I said, Let's have some people over. And she said, okay. And then I, I realized that's her birthday. <laughs> I was like, well, that might not be. And it's not that we can't do it on that day. For us in our home, take this for what it's worth. Birthdays are another day for the most part. We don't, we don't go all out. You know, and our kids are all, Carter's like the only one that gets a birthday gift because he's young enough now. The other ones, you're 18. I don't care if you live in the house or not. You're, ni- you're 19, you're 20, congratulations. But um, so we just don't do a lot. The best we do is, Cindy and I sometimes, we'll try to give them a gift, something simple. But as your kids get older, those gifts get more expensive, by the way. Uh, I'll go back to the Tonka truck days any day. But um, now they got Tonka trucks, like full-size trucks, you know, drivable things. But um, I want a lift kit for this, Dad. Well, keep wanting. So, but, but birthdays really aren't that big of a deal. They can pick a meal, right? Mom will, will cook whatever they want, or sometimes we'll go out to eat at whatever restaurant they choose, uh, depending on the circumstances. But it's not a big deal. But I thought, man, we, I don't know if I always want to have people over. It's her birthday. So I am hospitable, but man, the calendar always messes it up. <laughs> but, but the idea is fond of gifts, hospitable, given to hospitality. And I don't necessarily think you have to have people in your home every week as a pastor. Um, but certainly you should uh, be fond of, of taking care of people and, and just look after them and, and meet their needs. And, and it may include having people over at times. But sometimes in our mind, we define it as, well, you got to have people in your home. I don't know if that's necessarily the, the only definition here for that. Um, anyway, moving on. Lover of good men, on to good. Uh, promoter of virtue, love of good and friendly. And it kind of goes along with, with hospitality and those things, right? Uh, the, you know, certainly you don't want them to love evil men, right? They're, and so the idea here is, is this person's a friendly person, they're a loving person, a caring person, and... And uh, sober, so sound in mind, uh, self-control, we might say, or moderate. Uh, they have a moderate opinion of, of themselves or, or passion. They're discreet, uh, just being soberly minded. And <clears throat> we, can, we can labor on there, talking about the alcohol issue and all that as well. But um, then it goes on to say just. They're equitable uh, by implication. They're innocent. Uh, they're holy, meet, righteous. And so these are people that, that are uh, just. And then the next one, it says holy. And it says relates to the purity from defilement, hallowed. Uh, this is, a, we might say, a religious person. Uh, somebody that is set apart for the service of the Lord. They're holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy, the Word of God says. And so um, we ought to be pure from defilement. Now, we're not going to be sinless. Uh, but we ought to strive to do that which is right and to be holy before our God. And then it says temperate. Uh, strong in a thing, masterful, self-controlled, in appetite or otherwise. Here's what Webster's says about that word temperate. It says moderate in the indulgence of appetites and passions. As temperate in eating and drinking, temperate in pleasures, temperate in speech. And then he says, so he gives an example, be sober and temperate and you will be healthy. Well, that was a good, pretty good definition there. Uh, somebody that, the Word of God says, let your moderation be known unto all men. We, not, we ought not be in excess on anything, but one way or the other. And so these are some things that ought to be evident in the pastor's life. 
And uh, certainly I believe we have that here. But there are some further qualifications. Um, in our text, I believe I read verse 9, it says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. And so I believe that would be a qualification that the preacher holds to the word of God. Um, certainly that will keep him on the right ground. We don't need another book. We don't need someone else's opinion. We just need the word of God to be taught and the word of God to be preached in our church, uh, in our churches. And so holding fast the word. But there's a couple from, from Timothy, and, and we see it here even in our text. We'll look at it in the weeks to come. But the idea of being able to teach or to exhort or to convict. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, it uses the term apt to teach. But it also uses the term vigilant to describe the qualifications over there in Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy. The idea of being circumspect, looking out uh, in, in those things. It says also over there in Timothy, good behavior, which means orderly, respectable, or decorous. Now, that one was convicting for me because sometimes I don't like the decorum that has to take place at times. Uh, but, but good behavior, uh, you know, not looking like a clown when you're at, in different settings, right? You go to the preacher's meeting, don't show up in your tank top and shorts, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, potentially that kind of stuff. And then it, it gives a qualification of 1 Timothy 3, patient, so appropriate, mild, moderate, gentle, and then that's where we, we looked at this already, but in, in Timothy, it also says not a novice. And I, I mentioned it's not a new convert, not somebody that's newly planted. And, and uh, then it says this, good report of them which are without in 1 Timothy 3. And so to have a good reputation. Now, if you were to live your life as God intended, you're going to meet all these qualifications. Right? If we're living as Christians ought to live, these are things that ought to be demonstrated in everyone's life. And how can you not have a good report if that were the case? And again, we're talking about being blameless. It doesn't mean people won't send accusations, but the idea is, hey, none of those can be founded because you're living according to the, uh, to the Word of God. And so as we conclude today, I think this list can be very revealing about the work of, of a pastor of a bishop or those that are appointed in churches. Uh, the work involves teaching and preaching, but it also requires patiently guiding or leading the family of God. And that word patient is key there. It can test one's patience when there is murmuring, when there's discontent, or listen, or there's apathy among the flock. When these things are present in the congregation, it can be a challenge. Boy, a, a man can get up and preach his heart out. He can labor in prayer and preparation and, and seek the will of God for a message. And he can wax eloquent in executing his sermon. And then the people can sit in the pew, or in our case, the chairs, and almost act like nothing was, was done. That can be discouraging. That can be frustrating. It can cause anger. And so that's why there's some qualifications here. It, it, it can certainly test somebody's patience, to say the least. To pour your heart out and say, God... And, and listen, the, the preacher isn't doing it because he just thinks that that's the right thing to do because of its self-will. 
This is what God has laid on his heart. This is how God wants to take the flock and, and grow them and move them in a certain direction. And as he submits to the chief shepherd, he's just trying to get the flock to follow. And people sit there like a lump on a log. They don't, they're not receptive. They don't respond. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody to come to the altar, but listen, the reality is, in my life, the decisions I've made at an altar like this have changed my life. They've changed the course of my life. And so don't tell me you can sit in your chair and not move, because in my mind, that's a level of pride and resistance to God working in you. And, and so, listen, I'm, I again, I'm not guilting you to come down here. But what I am saying, there ought to be times where God breaks your heart to the point where you need to be at the altar. Because you're not perfect. Listen, you don't even meet all these requirements all the time. Let's be honest with ourselves. So listen, these qualifications can be very revealing about the ministry. Listen, the ministry can put a preacher in a volatile situation. We saw this in Acts chapter 6, and there began murmurings. The widows aren't being taken care of, and there's all this discord and distension in the church. And, and so how does the man of God respond to those things? Boy, he, he can't be a novice, and, and he has to have some of these characteristics down. He can't get angry about it. He needs to be temperate in how he deals with those things, and, and he needs to do it with a sober mind. And so it can be very revealing about the ministry. Listen, it can be very tempting for those attracted by money. And I've seen it. We, we supported a missionary uh, back when I was a youngster, 20 years old-ish. I was in the church. Cindy and I were, were fairly new married, and, and a missionary came through. I'm not even going to name the country. You guys might know. Well, it was to Ireland. Um, but he came through a great presentation. Uh, you know, I don't remember if that was accurate, so I won't say that. But um, this guy man came, he, you could, it, just, it was like he had a great burden for these people. He went to the mission field. Never ministered. He was there for, for several years. It was a period of time before it got found out that he was just taking money, living in Ireland. That's not right, in case you don't understand, right? And so, listen, the ministry can be a place where those that are prone to uh, filthy lucre, right, sordid gain, uh, they can misappropriate the ministry for their personal gain. Uh, that's certainly not right, and so we don't want somebody like that in our pulpit. Um, <clears throat> for the flock of God to be well-fed and well-led, it requires that the men meet both of these negative and positive requirements. Both negative and positive. The things that ought to be present. The, the word here, it says, must be. A bishop must be. And then there's those things, the word not. Not this, not that. Not given to and so a man must be proven, and these things must be evident. And, and then, so for those that are, that are called, and, and I guess we would say meet the qualifications, uh, we know it's a good work. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. First Timothy 3, it's a joyous work. Boy, those that, that are laboring in, in, in Hebrews and talks about them that are that are over us in the Lord, and they're doing it for joy's sake. Boy, it, it's a joy. Um, I got counsel when I was uh, <clears throat> about to come on, on staff here at the church um, from Pastor Boyle. And maybe I shared this with you guys. And he, he told me this. He said, 
Um, I, he said, the worst thing about the ministry is the people. He said, it's the people. It's the worst thing. He said, you'll pour your life into somebody. And they'll stab you in the back. Walk away. Forsake God. It's discouraging. He said, the best thing about ministry is the people. He says, those people that you invest in and you, you spend time and you, you pray for and, and you teach and you preach and maybe you counsel with them and, and they get it and they follow God and they honor God with their life. And he said, what a joy that is. And he told me this and he said, ministry is people. Listen, ministry is a joyous work and, and uh, it's a rewarding work. First Peter 5 talks about when the cheap shepherd comes and it'll be a rewarding work and and let's, I'll close with this thought. It's a needed work. Uh, look at verse 5 in our text. It says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest should set in order things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. There's an indication here that there were people without a shepherd. There were people without any oversight. And he said, you need to go and you need to set some things in order and you need to appoint these folks so that they uh, can have a leader, so that they can have a shepherd, uh, an under-shepherd, we often say. Uh, it's a needed work. We need people in the ministry. It's heartbreaking to think of, of a, if you look at the statistics in, in those things and how many men are dropping out of the ministry, and we hear it just in our area, how there's churches without a pastor. We ought to be praying that God would send laborers. The flock needs to be directed. The flock needs to be fed. And so it certainly is a needed work. But again, I want to remind you, nowhere in the qualifications did we see a pastor must be perfect. None have attained. That includes the pastor, and it certainly includes you. Don't exempt yourself from that idea. And so I would say this, give them the liberty to grow in Christ and to grow as a pastor. They're not perfect. And I will say this, I am so grateful for your patience and support as I grow. I have no idea what I'm doing. Shh, don't tell anybody. I'm not an idiot, but sometimes, what do you do here? How do you, what? We just have to give people the, the, the time and, and be patient and allow God to bring them along. Get behind Pastor Brooks. Support him, and listen, the vision that God has given him to take our church wherever God would lead. We ought to be behind him 100%. If you can't get behind him 100%, why are you here? Right? He's not perfect. Neither are you. We're all growing. We understand that. But support your preacher. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we do thank you for that you do that you're a God of order and that there is Lord leadership on how we ought to conduct ourselves as the people of God. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to be a submissive people. Lord, as you lead and guide our pastor, Lord, I pray that we would be fully and 100% behind him. And, Lord, as we think of that, we pray that you'd give him wisdom. Pray that you'd guide him and direct him, Lord. Help him to be submissive to your will. And, Father, I pray that you would take our church wherever you want it to go. And Lord, that our church would move forward as you direct and as you guide. 
Father, we pray for your wisdom and your leadership. We thank you for our pastor. pray for your blessing upon him. Lord, what a, what a blessing it is to have him as our pastor. We thank you for that. We pray that you just use him in a mighty way. Lord, even now in the next hour, we pray that you fill him with the Spirit as he preaches. Lord, I pray that the Word of God would go forth, that we have free course in hearts and minds. And Father, that we would be receptive. And Lord, that we would be challenged to walk closer to you. Bless now, we pray that the music and everything would be said and done to your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.